This morning, I want to further a discussion we've been having here at First Presbyterian about how to transform the heart of our city. About three years ago, in the summer of 2019, I shared a message entitled, How to Love Your Neighbor, which focused on Jesus' command in Luke 10 to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, since I gave that message a few years ago now, uh, several of you from time to time have come to me and talked about how helpful that message was, just in terms of thinking in a practical way about how to literally follow that great commandment that Jesus gave us within our own neighborhoods and our other circles of relationships. I'd like you to take a look at the worship folder, uh, in your worship folder, and the insert that you were given this morning uh, when you walked in. There's a place for you to take some notes on the message I'm going to share with you today. Um, the information that I placed on the left-hand side of this sheet is actually review material that comes back from that message a few years ago now, and it might serve to jog your memories of some of the things that were shared that day. You may remember that I asked you to draw out a little tic-tac-toe uh, grid and then within that grid to put your house in the middle of that and then consider all of the other uh, boxes in that as houses around you. Now, I know very well that not everyone lives in a symmetrical uh, uh, neighborhood like this, right? But uh, given that, just think about your house being in the middle and then... You can fill in, I ask you that day to fill in the information like this as we went around. The first thing I thought asked you to think about was to write in the names of the people who live in each one of the houses around you. The second thing was to write in some basic information about each person. And then the third thing was to add some in-depth information you might know uh, after connecting with them. So the point of this exercise was to highlight the fact that many of us uh, don't even know some of the most basic information about the people who live closest to us. And as, as a result, some people call this the grid of shame. Remember that? Yeah. In a video that was a part of the message that day, one of our elders here, Elder Clay Brown, he drove home that point. He 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 asked a question, one that really struck me. He asked very wisely, how can you have a conversation about your with your neighbor about Jesus if you've never had a conversation with them at all? Great question. One that frankly convicted me that day. And uh, maybe it convicted a number of you as well. Some of us call these chaos moments when God all of a sudden stops us in our tracks and speaks to us and asks us to really think about how we are listening to his word to us and how we are obeying that word in our daily lives. Now, if you'd like to review uh, that message that I gave uh, three years ago called How to Love Your Neighbor, I've given some instructions in your worship folder where you can go to the First Press website and access it in the media archives there. Now, this morning I want to bring us from our neighborhoods down to the interpersonal level. Those moments when we actually do have an opportunity for some one-on-one time with someone uh, so that we can listen to their hearts and they can listen to our hearts as well, hopefully in a manner that will begin to open up a way for conversations about life and faith in God. To do that, I want to take us a little deeper into Luke's gospel, where once again we see Jesus on the road 
interacting with those along the way. In Luke chapter 18, he announces to his followers that he would be crucified, killed and resurrected in Jerusalem. And he leaves them kind of scratching their heads at that point, because at that point in the account, they really have no clue what he's talking about. But as he journeys towards Jerusalem, he follows a major road, a road that is still there today. If you go to the Holy Land and eventually arrives in the city of Jericho, which remains are there also today. And it's here in chapter 19 that he comes into contact with a tax collector named Zacchaeus. So if you'll turn with me now to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, you can follow along with me in the Bibles that are there in the pews for you in the New Testament section, page 1630. Or if you've brought your own device, you can pull that up and follow along there as well. So while you're turning there, I want to ask you all something. So starting in August, we are going to offer a basic introductory course, a basic discovery course on the Christian faith called Alpha. Now, show of hands, Bible quiz time. Are you ready? How many of you have already heard or know maybe just something about this account between Jesus and Zacchaeus who climbed a sycamore tree uh, to see Jesus? If you've heard of this story, raise your hand. Good. All right. All of you have raised your hands are disqualified from coming to Alpha. You are Bible experts, so don't come. This course is not for you, all right? Alpha is a great place for those who want to explore what it means to follow Christ uh, and to consider that maybe for the first time. Or maybe if you grew up in church as a young person or something like that, you've come back for whatever reason, and now you want to build an adult faith upon that which you learned as a young person. Uh, there's an announcement in your worship folder about the upcoming class is going to start August 17th, and uh, you'll hear more about this in the coming weeks. So as we read here in just a moment, we will see that Jesus commits probably what is the greatest faux pas an American Southerner can ever commit. The rudest thing that you and I could ever do, well, almost. What is that? He invites himself over to someone's house. I mean, who would do a thing like that other than somebody like B.J. Page? Who, who would do something like this? Probably not many of us. We know better than that. Well, Zacchaeus says yes when Jesus invites himself over. And then what's amazing is the reaction of the crowd that's watching all this. You get this sense that something is not right in the crowd. Jesus and Zacchaeus have done something to violate maybe a hospitality code, some kind of normal behavior that typically what is not done. So what's up with that? Well, let's look and see. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Hear now this reading, a portion of God's word. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. May the Lord God bless to us this reading of a portion of his holy word. Amen. There I was in a restaurant in Liverpool, England, and I turned my head and I looked and there were five middle-aged Iranian women looking at me with daggers in their eyes. This coming Friday, I'm taking 13 others from our church to Liverpool, England, to work with one of our sister churches there, the Iranian Frontline Church of Liverpool. And this will be the second full team that we have taken there. Uh, one group went before COVID in July of 2019, and now we're going back uh, after COVID. But before the first trip in 2019, Rick and Joy Sturgis and I, we went Earlier in the year, it was January, as a matter of fact, a good six months before the full trip. And we went over there to scout out the logistics of the situation before a larger team might come. At the end of three days there were the Iranians, the church invited us over to a dinner at a restaurant owned by one of the church owners, church members. Now on the screens, you can see a picture of, uh, of that full party. Now, you have to understand that entire week, Rick and Joy and I had been driven around, we'd been fed, entertained, at no cost to us, by these wonderful new friends we had made. Now, all of them, at one point or another, had been immigrants or refugees from Iran, who had either fled the country because of their Christian faith, or because they'd become sideways with the Iranian government for some other reason. But the commonality that all of them shared is that they had to leave Iran and they had to leave fast. Most of them had left prosperous lives and now they were working as things like Uber drivers. Or anything they could do with the limited language skills just to get by. So I thought, hey, I have an expense budget for all of our travel costs. We haven't used any of that. This group is not too big, so... I'll go over and I'll pay for the meal as a gift to them. After all, you know how it works in the States. Usually grandpa or the oldest man in the family will go over and take care of the tab for the family, right? And go out for a family meal. Now, um, even though I am six years younger than Rick Sturgis, I have more gray hair than he does. I don't understand what's up with that, but be that as it may, I considered myself the elder of the group. So I slipped over to the register of this small restaurant, and I told the owner, again, he was a church member. I asked him, I said, I want to pay for the party. Well, he started to look around nervously around me to see if anybody was watching this conversation. And he said in a quiet whisper, he said, no, this cannot be done. So I sat down, but I thought, well, he's just... Being nice. So I went up again and I said, hey, all of you here have been so nice to us this entire weekend or this entire week. Uh, We've not been allowed to do anything for ourselves. 
please let me bless you in just this one way. And once again, the manager starts looking around me to see who's watching this conversation. It's like he doesn't want to be there. And he once again, he looks around, but then he looks at me and he whispers, no, no. This cannot be done. So I resolved to leave it like that. But a little later, he waved me back up to the county and he said, "Okay, you can pay. So I whipped out the plastic and I took care of the meal. And feeling very satisfied that I had done something so nice in return for all the hospitality that we had experienced, I sat back down near the end of the table where I had been. Not a minute later, I get a tap on my shoulder from behind. And I turned and this very nice Iranian woman named Masa, who was sitting at the very end of the table, she looks at me with some force in her eyes and she says, my mother and her friends want to know why you insult them by paying for this meal. And I looked and across the room or across the table for me, it looked like a scene out of the book of Revelation. And I looked and behold, there was an army before me with blood coming out of their eyes and swords coming from their mouths. Their feet were as bronze burnishing in the fiery furnace. And when they spoke, it was like the waves crashing over the ocean. Actually, they didn't say they didn't say a word. They didn't have to. I could see it in their faces. And they were not happy. Have any of you ever been in one of those times where you just instinctually, I mean, I don't know, your spirit just knows to stop whatever you're doing and immediately shoot a prayer straight up. Ever been in one of those situations? And I remember I'm sitting there and they are locked onto me. And I am locked onto them and I'm praying, Holy Spirit, help. What am I going to say to get out of whatever I have stepped into? And I'm telling you within a split second, a millisecond, these words came out of my mouth. I said, Masa, tell your mom and her friends that I would like to make a deal. She whispers to them in Farsi. They whisper to one another. And then they whisper back to her and she turns to me and says, my mother and her friends do not like deals. And those daggers were still coming there out of their eyes. And I'm looking at them saying, well, that didn't work. But once again, in a split second, I, I don't know where it came from. I said, Masa, tell your mom and her friends this is the deal. If they will let me bless them this way in this one time, I will bring back 14 people this summer. And I will need them to feed and to take care of us all week long. Masva whispers to her mom and to her friends and the message comes back. Okay, we take deal. And at that point, everybody's body language relaxed just a little bit. But they still weren't smiling. Friends, I had heard about Middle Eastern hospitality codes, but I didn't know the seriousness with which they to this day continue to take them. Now, some of you have lived or served in the Middle East. So you're very familiar with some of these protocols, I know. 
Uh, they're an integral part of their cultural history. So as I joked about earlier, if you're an American, we think that it's rude to invite ourselves over for a meal or to stay, right? But for a Middle Easterner, they consider it an honor to take you in and to feed and to house you. You are giving the host an honor. And this is the same world in which Jesus and Zechariah had their encounter so many years ago. You see, the crowd that gathered during this incident knew that when you invited yourself over, you were, in effect, honoring the host. But this is the rub. They did not think that Zacchaeus was worthy of the honor of hosting this rabbi, this rabbi who had performed miracles and who had talked so eloquently about the kingdom of God. You see, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And tax collectors in that day were known for overcharging the people and then to pocket the difference between what was owed to the Romans. The common people hated paying taxes to the Romans, and they hated the traders who worked for them even more. But Zacchaeus was not some run-of-the-mill tax collector like Matthew, who wrote the gospel by his name. He was a chief tax collector. A tax collector muckety-muck. My Egyptian friend, Fakri Yakub, who spoke here at our missions conference uh, almost a year ago, he says that Zacchaeus could have been Matthew's boss or area supervisor. And maybe Zacchaeus climbed a tree that day just to just to catch a glimpse of the one who had made such a difference in Matthew's life. That may be all that Zacchaeus was looking for. But at the end, he received so much more, the grace and the honor of serving as host for the Son of Man. What you and I need to know is something that Jesus understood very well, and that is this. Hospitality is the secret sauce of evangelism. Now, you can write that in the blank at the top at the right-hand side of your sermon note page this morning. Hospitality is the secret sauce of evangelism. Interestingly, almost every New Testament author uses the term hospitality in their book or letter, or at least they refer to this idea. Chinese-Australian author Sam Chan says in his book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, he says that hospitality provides the space and permission for gospel conversations to occur. And he shares some very practical advice for how to offer hospitality in ways that allow us to engage with our friends, our coworkers, and neighbors. And these simple steps are called coffee, dinner, and gospel. I want to invite you to fill in the blanks beside that simple outline in your notes page this morning as I go through. So, first of all, Chan calls the first layer to an ongoing conversation with someone, you as a believer, with someone about Jesus. The first level is called coffee, okay? Or it could be tea or juice or just whatever. Sitting down with someone over a quick cup of coffee or a glass of tea is almost what's well, easy for almost everyone to do. Usually in space like this, the conversation will focus around things like uh, your friend's interest. You can write that in coffee and an interest. Things like the weather. 
music that you like, teams that you follow, things on TV, except the news. None of that. Okay, here's the thing. If we're good at listening, we will earn enough trust while just talking about small talk, eventually to be able to move to a deeper level of conversation. And let's call that next step dinner. Dinner is a deeper invitation because it involves a longer time commitment. It's here in this context where people usually feel safe enough to talk about things that they value, their preferences, ethics, what they consider right, wrong, or beautiful. It can be uh, what school they or their kids want to attend or which brand of car or truck they may like. Chan says that if we show it is safe for them to express themselves and be vulnerable and that we're listening empathetically, we're preparing the way for the next layer of conversation where conversations about the gospel can take place. So here's the thing. If we listen intently... Eventually, we will probably be able to hear some cues that they want to take the conversation to the next level. And when we hear these cues, all we have to do is simply ask a question like this. Tell me more about that. Or how does that make you feel? This will give them permission to take the conversation to a deeper level, and we'll call that the worldview level. There's a blank space in your outline for that as well, worldview. The worldview level is where we make statements about what we believe. Our worldviews are the frameworks for how we understand facts and evidence and data. And they determine how we interpret our personal experiences in life. So it's here at this level of conversation that we feel safe enough to talk about things like what is real? Is there a God? What's good or bad about the world? Do we pray? Is there life after death? Are humans basically good or evil? Chan says this is the gospel step of evangelism because it is in this layer that conversations will naturally present us with opportunities to talk about Jesus. The key here, once again, is to really just listen. And to pay attention. And then when the time is right, Chan says we can ask what he calls a nudge question. A nudge question. Something that might sound like this. I've listed some of these in your sermon outline there for you. So it could be like, what are you hoping for in life? And why is that important to you? What do you think will happen if you don't get that? Do you pray? Do you believe in God? What do you think God wants from you? Were you brought up in a faith tradition? How do you feel about that? The goal here, again, is to listen and to give our friends permission to keep talking. We are not trying to give advice or correct or have an argument. We're simply, by our questions, giving them permission to take the conversation to a sacred level. Obviously, the whole point of eating together is not about merely satisfying a biological function. It's to provide a space to talk together. It's about connecting, relating, talking. Jesus understood this. 
And so did Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus hears Jesus invite himself over, he knows what this will mean. He knows that it will mean that they will become friends as they eat together and as Jesus stays in his home. And this flies all over the crowd that had gathered around there that day. They don't want Jesus and Zacchaeus to become friends because Zacchaeus is a sinner. He's a cheat. He's got a past. He's got a reputation in town. He is not worthy of God's call on his life. So Luke says that they began to mutter. And it's interesting here that Luke uses the same verb, the same word that is used to describe the Israelites when they complained about being in the desert after God had delivered them in the Exodus. They want to write Zacchaeus off as irredeemable. His past and his present life are just too egregious. But Jesus doesn't write anyone off. And Zacchaeus is overwhelmed by Jesus' gift of honor and acceptance. Verse 6 says, Zacchaeus came down from the tree at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. He then publicly resolves to change his life by giving half of all he has to the poor and by righting all the wrongs he has done. The father's love shown to him and his son Jesus irresistibly moves him to follow the first of the great commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then that same divine love turns Zacchaeus' heart to follow the sad commandment, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus hears Zacchaeus' testimony of a changed life. And he declares to all the mumblers and the grumblers who were there, he says, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus was a lost child of Abraham, but now he is found. I wonder where you and I are in this episode that Luke records for us. Maybe you feel like Jesus is trying to barge in on your life right now. And you're not so sure how you feel about that. I mean, yeah, Jesus and I, we're pretty good acquaintances, pretty good friends. But, well, it's not really convenient for him to come over right now at the moment. And certainly not to stay. I mean, I've got important stuff to do. I've made plans for my life. Plus, my life is a mess, both spiritually and literally. This is just too embarrassing. These are the kinds of things that we say to ourselves. How will you and I respond to his request to stay? Is it an imposition? Or will we be like Zacchaeus? When he heard Jesus' request, he immediately says yes to the honor of serving as his host. And he invites him into his home. Maybe you've never responded to Jesus' gracious request to abide with you in the places where you live. 
I pray that you would accept his invitation to barge into your life today. For those of us who have known Jesus as a treasured guest for many years now, I have some exciting news for you. By the active movement of his Holy Spirit in our world today, Jesus's mission to seek and to save and to restore that which has been lost is still going on right now. And the beautiful and challenging thing is this. He invites you and I to be a part of that mission. So maybe you're like Matthew and you have a boss or like Zacchaeus or, or a coworker or someone else around you that needs to hear and see a transformed life. A life of gratitude and of grace. If so, then maybe it's time for you to offer someone coffee or dinner and the good news to them. All served up in a secret sauce of hospitality. Folks, I know that hospitality is costly. Sam Chan says it costs us time, effort, and money. It's a form of generosity. But hospitality gives us social capital. It allows us to earn our friends' trust so that we can talk about things that matter. And if we've been generous to them, then they will most likely reciprocate by listening to our views, even if they don't disagree with everything that we say. The key for us is to offer a safe space where those who we know can talk about private matters that are weighing on their hearts. The truth of the matter is, if Jesus had used the crowd's standard of association that day, he would have never spoken to Zacchaeus. On the other hand, we as the body of Christ, we are called to restore the lost and the rejected by seeking them out not by remaining isolated from them. And maybe this is a word for all of us as we consider how God is calling us as a congregation to transform the heart of our city and beyond. Maybe the key to transforming the heart of the city is to actually go to the city like Jesus did by opening our homes and our schedules rather than only waiting for the city to come to us. I mean, I wonder what it would be like if all of us lived our lives like everyday missionaries, where we integrated the teachings of Jesus, like on hospitality and other things. What if we integrated those things into our daily lives into the place and we took them into the places that we go and live? I think that's kind of mind blowing. What do you all think? I bet it would be challenging. But I also think. It would be the most beautiful, raucous journey imaginable. Would you take that deal? Father, make us different. Not entertaining, but hospitable. Allow us to embody life in your kingdom in such a way that those around us who are suffering and lost from loneliness and isolation and a self-inflicted, rabid pursuit of self, that they would see your hope and healing in us. Show us how you are passing through our city and in our neighborhoods today, just like Jericho so many years ago, so that we might get on that journey with you. 
And as we do, please provide us our daily bread because we know that without your provision, we can go nowhere. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.